Hello and welcome to the Jazz Jam Podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Gunnels, joined by my co-host, Max Levy. And on today's episode, we are in our second week of our Grammy run-up episodes. So this week, we're going to be doing another album that's been nominated for Best Instrumental Jazz Album. This album is entitled Parallel Motion by Yellow Jackets. Um, a pretty new recording came out, I think, in August of 2022, so really recent. Um, it's nominated for a Grammy, so we're going to get into what's going on with this one and why it was was nominated and you know, kind of the musicians on it as well. But before we get into that, we're not going to do a listener question of the week, but I do want to remind everybody that if you have any questions, any album recommendations, anything you want to ask us, tell us anything, um, please feel free to reach out to us. You can reach out at our Gmail, which is the Jazz Jam Podcast at Gmail. You can DM us on Instagram at the Jazz Jam Podcast. Um, you can go to our website and submit a question there. Uh, our website is linked in the bio. So yeah, we just want to remind everyone, if you have any questions, if you want to recommend any albums, we'll definitely take a look at any albums you want to recommend. Um, so yeah, we just want to get that out there and have people interact. We love to hear from, from different listeners. We just got an album recommendation that we're going to be doing, um, certainly within the next couple weeks after we finish up the Grammy stuff. So super excited to get into that. Um, but yeah, as well, I just want to say, go follow us on Instagram, go check out our website. Uh, just really cool resources. Our website is really cool. It's got, kind of every album we've ever done, a power rankings of all the albums that we've done, and every album has its own page with just our overall thoughts. So if you want to go review some of what we've done, or if you don't have time to listen to a certain episode, you can just go there and check out kind of what we thought and what we rated a certain album. So definitely a cool, cool thing to to look at if you haven't checked that out yet. But cool, Max, well, let's get into the history of this album. Some of these newer albums don't have a lot of history, but we can kind of talk about the record label they're recorded on, the group that's recording them and their history together. So Max, let's get into the history for for this album a little bit. Yeah, of course. This album released, uh, like you said, in August of 2022. It's on Mac Avenue Records. We've gone over Mac Avenue before at least once or twice. Um, They're a record label founded in the 1990s in the Detroit area. The Yellow Jackets that this recording comes from, that's the name of the group, I think really they're referred to as yellow jackets, but commonly we call them the yellow jackets um, as just an easy way to talk about them. So, you know, we'll, we'll both uh, use both yellow jackets and the yellow jackets interchangeably. And we're talking about the same people, the same group. And that group has existed as a fusion ensemble since 1977, featuring an array of top musicians, including the likes of Peter Erskine, the great drummer, and Terry Lynn Carrington, another fabulous drummer. While the piano player Russell Ferrante is the only original member still in the group, and saxophonist Bob Menser has been a member of the group for over 30 years, and so Bob and Russell are on this album as well. The group is known for extensive collaborative releases, yet this album only features one guest, the vocalist Gene Baylor of The Baylor Project, So this album, Parallel Motion, is essentially a quartet recording of the current core members of the group playing original fusion music. The Yellow Jackets have recorded, uh, I think, at least 20 albums, and they've won two Grammy Awards. So well-versed in the fusion sort of sound, the Yellow Jackets are 
insanely experienced. They've, they've put out a lot of music, and we're really going to dig in and see what they've got to bring us here. And like I said, it includes the longtime member Russell Ferrante on piano. Do I want to give us a little scoop on, on who Russell is and his background? Yeah, so Russell is a, a pianist, a composer, and a band leader. He's been the leader of this group for over 30 years, like Max said. He was born in San Jose, California in 1952. He learned to play the piano at nine years old and began playing in church before starting to gig around the San Francisco Bay area in the early 70s. And then he dropped out of college to tour with the great blues-drenched singer Jimmy Witherspoon, uh, Spoon as some cats called him, And thereafter, he recorded and played in L.A. while co-founding the Yellow Jackets with guitarist Robin Ford. He's since been a freelance writer, arranger, producer, and performer, working with greats such as Al Jarreau, Bobby McFerrin, Take Six, Sato Wananabe, and um, many more. He's also been very active in the college masterclass circuit as well, so a teacher of of the music as well. Yeah, he usually is known for being one of those go-to uh, sort of um, master class artists who go into a, a sort of a college level setting and they'll give a give a general you know overall lecture to a number of uh, music students and and faculty can sit in and sometimes they have a group with them and it's very usually interactive and you just get a sense of who the artist is and what they can bring. Um, in terms of informing the students on what jazz is and, and their approach and what they've done. And it's usually a great sort of back and forth between uh, a, a well-known artist like Russell Ferrante and students at a music school. So he's one of those cats that does that. Um, also, the other longtime member of this group, Bob Mentzer, is on this album playing tenor and soprano saxophone as well as the iwi. If you don't know, the iwi is sort of the synthesizer form of the saxophone. It also can create a number of different sounds, including things like the violin sound and the flute sound. I mean, the list goes on. Um, so an iwi is just sort of an electronified um, sort of woodwind instrument, but you, you can kind of blow into it like a saxophone and finger like a saxophone, but you get an array of sounds like a synthesizer. So Bob is born and raised in New Rochelle, New York, to a Jewish family. He's sort of one of the big-named Jewish tenor saxophone players of the latter 20th century. Other ones that come to mind are Bob Berg, uh, Dave Liebman, and the great Steve Grossman. Um, so there's just an array of, of four or five of those cats, and Bob Mincer is one of those really influential Jewish tenor saxophone players of the latter 20th century. Bob studied at the Hart School and the Manhattan School of Music in the early 70s. And also early in his career, he played in a number of big bands, including the Buddy Rich Big Band and the Thad Jones Mel Lewis Orchestra. He has since composed and arranged hundreds of charts for big bands, and I've played quite a few myself. Um, And he did that while touring and playing with numerous groups, including this one, Yellow Jackets. He moved to L.A. in 2008, where he joined the faculty at University of Southern California, where he still teaches. And he's had a pretty extensive discography as a leader and a sideman, and he also co-conducts the uh, fantastic group, the WDR Big Band. And I believe at one time he was also an artist in residence for, uh, you know, half a second. 
at East Carolina University where um, I did my undergraduate work and that's my alma mater, alma mater, excuse me. So I think Bob was there for, you know, half a second before he joined the faculty at USC. Nice. And the USC faculty has a really, really well-established faculty. I think, you know, um, their drum professor. Oh my God. And now I can't, yeah, who is it? I think, it, I think it's Peter Erskine. Oh, is it? Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they just have a, they've been well known for having a really good program and, and faculty. Yeah, and Peter was a member of uh, Yellow Jackets um, for quite a while. So so that's how Bob and, and Peter know each other. And 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 you're right, the faculty at USC is quite extensive and and impressive. And then uh, accompanying them are 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 two other fantastic musicians. We get Dane Anderson on the electric bass. He's an Australian electric bass virtuoso who's been active in the scene since 2002. He's worked with a vast array of musicians, including the likes of Marcus Miller, James Morrison, Troy Roberts, and many more. And he continues to perform regularly in Europe and Australia. And then on drums, we get the great Will Kennedy, who began playing the drum set at age four. He was surrounded by a very musical family. He began gigging around the San Francisco Bay Area while studying music in college, and he's recorded, toured, and performed extensively ever since. He briefly joined the Yellow Jackets in the 1980s and then rejoin, rejoined them officially in 2010, and so he's been with them ever since. Um, and this album starts off pretty strong, so we're going to get right into the music here. This first track is called Intrigue, and this is a quite intriguing song <laughs> um so as i mentioned all of these tunes are originals from different members of the group most of them from bob mincer the saxophone player this one included so we get a mincer original to start us off the drum hit starts the tune and then we get right into an introduction there's nice really cool breaks of space in between melodic lines played by both the saxophone and the keys the head or the melody, as we call it, starts at the 30-second mark. There's lots of syncopation. The melody is seemingly played by both sax and bass, and sometimes the keys as well, copying that melodic line. The time feel is very interesting on this tune. It seems sort of mixed meter is happening at moments. Sometimes I'm feeling 3-4 or 2-4 or 4-4 during uh, especially the introduction into the head. And, and there's something to that effect going on. Let's listen to that interesting time field together because it's a really neat aspect of this first track. Yeah, so most of that, you can feel it in 4-4, four, four, but there's mm -hmm. that kind of weird almost break that happens. That's, that is not 4-4. Four, four. It's yeah. almost 3-4 or 2-4, and once the melody kicks in, you can get that sense that there's there's something going on with the time there as they keep going. Yeah, I think it's cool because it, it kind of has a 4-4 four, four groove through parts of it, so it allows you to kind of get into that. 
but also then those brakes are not in four. So it's cool. It kind of introduces mixed meter in a, a fun way while still kind of referring back to the, the groove there. Yeah. It's kind of like I'm getting sort of new age fusion, which, you know, the jazz thing is, is to avoid labels while the people, you know, that are in charge of, let's say, uh, record companies or, um, putting together song lists or playlists are really the opposite. They're really into genre, you know, labeling and, and things like that. So, it, you know, I don't want to give a label to it, but I would call it some sort of new age fusion that we're getting here. And I do enjoy those moments of the melody, especially the tail end of the melody that goes into the solo section. Let's listen to that together. Listen to a few of these lines and especially pay attention to the jumpy notey melody and check out that last line that leads into the solo section. Oh. Yeah, I think that last line is so hip. Um, and as you could tell, it goes into a bass solo. So we get a, a bass solo first, which is a really neat aspect on a track. It's also really cool to get that on the first track of the album. The bass solo is kind of line oriented. It always feels good. There's small moments of playing more than one note at a time. So he's almost doing some chordal movement on the bass, which is very neat to do. It's, it's not typical. So those moments come out to me. There's also some slight, what I would call funkification that happens. And honestly, I could use more of that. So we're going to listen to some moments of that here. This is about 229 to 243 during the bass solo. Yeah, that's yeah, this bass solo, it's so cool to start out the album with a bass solo. Like that's the first thing that we're getting on the album. That is one thing that I really do enjoy about this album is that they're not afraid to kind of do things like that and do their own thing. And this is a really, really hip bass. So I love those chords these playing on the bass, like that kind of funky um, Jocko Pastorius almost chord feeling thing. And yeah, that's that's killing there on the bass. That's a great connection. There is obviously, you know, a reverence for Jocko here um, that Dane Anderson, the bass player, is giving us. And I think he's, he's his solo is, is quite dynamic and i just wish there would be a little bit more moments of that sort of spunkiness earlier on in his solo but all in all it's a great solo that uh also then leads to a keyboard solo we get minor moments of blues during russell ferrante's solo there's some cool instances of repetition as well and it grows in intensity with some chordal hits leading back into the melody yeah, I just I think his solo and this is something that Ferrante does really well is just really nice development throughout his solo and lots of really great use of different rhythms and, and things to develop the solo itself. So, yeah, that's the one thing that sticks out to me here initially is just how well he develops his his solo here. Absolutely. And then when we get into the restatement of the melody, Bob Mincer solos a little bit on the saxophone. Honestly, it may be a little bit too short of a solo for my taste, but I want us to listen to a snippet with some moments of, of very soulful playing from Bob, and he also showcases some technique that's really well done up and down the horn. Mm -hmm. 
my god, that's super hip. The only bad thing about that is that chunk, that little chunk, is half of the solo. Y- yeah, I don't understand why. I don't understand why the solo is so short. I feel like they really were off to like a good start here with the bass and then the piano solo, both really cool solos, and then like Mincer takes like a like a one chorus solo, and I'm just like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> and it gives us so much there that I really. I wanted, you know, a little bit more stretching of that. You know, I'm not talking, you know, go all Pharaoh Sanders and have a, or, or have a, you know, I don't know, 12 minute solo. I'm just saying a little bit longer, you know, minute and a half or something. Um, it really, I think would have opened up at least the solo section after the bass solo and that key solo just a little bit. Um, but you know, like, like we said, it's a shorter solo. So after that, they go back to the head, um, back to part of the head, excuse me, and they play a last lick together and they end on a stinger, which is cool. So no fade out here, <laughs> nothing nothing too complicated either. So it's a great easy ending that's well done. Overall, I kind of dig the groove of this tune and parts of the melody are really cool. Again, I do wish that sax solo was longer. It seems like this track overall is kind of intended to be more of a bass feature which is kind of a cool aspect to opening the album. Uh, it's a strong track, a great start to the record, and it is kind of ballsy to start off with a, with a tune that's an extended bass feature. So I really dig that. And it is, I think, one of the most listened to tracks on the album, according to the Spotify numbers, namely because it's the first track on the album, but also because it does groove and it, and it does have some really cool features to it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a really, really interesting way to start the album. I was a little bit even surprised. I was like, man, there's a lot going on in this first track. This is cool. This is, you know, like maybe better than some other openers we've had recently on on the album or on the the podcast of other albums. Um, but then we get into the second track on the album, which is entitled Challenging Times. And I think that that title is very fitting for the song. Um, we get very interesting mixed meter going on to start this track. And I really was trying to figure out like where the one was and what like what kind of different meters we had going on here. But then after a while, I just kind of gave up because it's it is it's pretty complicated. Um, and we're gonna listen to it just to so I can kind of give you an idea of like what's going on with this mix meter. It's not it's pretty pretty complicated. It's not really like a simple three four to four four kind of thing or like that kind of thing. There's a lot going on here with this melody. And I want us to uh, be clear to those who may not understand what we're saying with when we use terms like mixed meter. All we're saying is that there's an amalgamation or a collection of different ways that you can split up the beat. Yep. And so, you know, when we say 4-4, four, four, we're saying there's four beats in a measure, which a measure is just a, a, a portion of a melody or, or sonic um, existence, right? That, that makes up the organization of the tune. So it's kind of how we organize the feel and the beat and the groove of a song. And so this song is using a mixture of different ways that you can do that. Yeah. And so if you think, and it's pretty easy, if you like an easy way to think about it and some two different meters is 4-4 four, four would be like your most typical pop or any kind of tune. Your most tunes are in 4-4, four, four, which is just your one, two, three, four. But then if you think of a song like a waltz, um, like many waltzes and things that are one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Those are two different meters. One is in what we'd call four, 
which is the most standard time, 4-4, and one is in three, a three feel. So, And there are lots of other different meters and, and things, but that's one of the more simple ways to think about it is four versus three. And so what this track is doing is taking a mixture of those kinds of different, you know, four, four and three, four and different meters and mixing them together in what we call mix meter. And here, I think it's a mixture of, of eighth note division. Yeah. So the most common being six, eight, which I think does exist here in this tune, especially in the breaks. So that means that instead of the quarter note getting the beat, the eighth note is getting the beat. That's why it's signified by the eight as the uh, lower number, the denominator, I think that's called. Yeah. Um, so I, th I think we're getting a mixture of nine, eight, seven, eight, six, eight, all together. Yeah. Um, and we can listen to it so the audience can know. Yeah, cool. Well, yeah, let's listen to it. And if you, the listener, if you can kind of pick out what's going on here, where the division is, where the one is, like what kind of separation in the meters going on here, please let us know. Because I... I it was just more work than it was worth. They obviously know what's going on here, you know, because it's written on the piece of paper. But for us, it, it can be kind of hard to hear when there's not a, a clear indicated one going on in the music. So let's let's listen to that here. Yeah, so I think one thing that makes it hard to kind of pick out exactly what's going on with the the time here is the piano is just kind of constantly playing those eighth notes, and then we get the melody from the saxophone, and it doesn't seem like they're ever on the same, like they're never starting a measure, like specifically cutting out and starting a new measure at the same time, so it's kind of hard to tell exactly like the separation in the different bars there, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and some things... Uh, some excuse me. Something that may be going on is that maybe one instrument is thinking a certain meter at the same time another instrument is is thinking a different meter, and yep. so we're layering different uh, meter approaches. But when they end up at a certain point, they end up at the same point in the music at the same time. Yeah. So in, in that way, it's together, but you're thinking two different meters um, for the purpose of of whichever is easiest to um execute your role in the music and that might make sense with the title too challenging times not so much that the the times themselves are challenging but they're challenging each other so the piano and the horn those times might be challenging so i could see that too and that would actually maybe make more sense as to why it can be really hard to pick out exactly you know the subdivision in the, in the meter there for sure yeah, I, I think that is is part of what's going on here. By the way, it's very interesting to listen to. It's very cool. It's a very neat aspect to the second track of the album. Yeah, and but then as we heard at the end there, um, at the very the last few seconds of the melody there, they do get into a four feel, a four four feel like we we're talking about, which has a really nice groove to it. And then the groove kind of goes right into Bob Mincer's solo. I really like the way he starts out rhythmic and kind of lets it build into more linear sections, all while keeping kind of that same rhythmic elements to the solo. And then something they do really often on this album is that they go back into the melody 
to interlude into a piano solo. So very often on the album, when they want to go into another solo, they'll play the melody or they'll play some kind of shout chorus idea together and then they'll go into the next solo it's not i don't think they ever just go from one solo to the next so that's what we get here we get the melody to interlude to the piano solo and then russell fronte has some really nice blues drenched ideas to start the solo out before getting a little bit more bop oriented and then there's some really cool rhythmic chordal stuff that he's doing at the end of the solo to cap it off and then they go back into the melody again and then after the melody the head out, they, they trade with the sax and the bass. Um, and I really enjoy this section here. And I think it's, I wish this kind of happened prior to this point in the tune. It's kind of like the last thing, the ending of the, the tune where they're doing this trade. And I think they could have featured it as a full on solo section in the middle of the, the tune, but they didn't decide to do that. And then they do kind of like this studio fade into just like the synth, like a synth playing. And it's interesting. I'm not really sure how I feel about it, but it's also not like the worst thing I've ever heard. It's just an interesting way. They like fade everything into like just the synth and that's the synth fading out itself. So a, a unique way to end the, the track here. Well, I know how I feel about it and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I really dislike that spacey keyboard thing at the very end. It seems forced. It seems unnecessary. It's aesthetically different. But is it purposeful? And I think it gets in the way of the fade out. And I really would have appreciated more trading behind, excuse me, between the bass and the saxophone. And then I think the fade out comes just a little too soon. And I think it's I think it's a good fade out. But do not do that spacey keyboard sound on top. It sounds forced and unnecessary. Yeah, I can definitely I can understand your opinion there. Yeah, I was like. I yeah it is it's different that's for sure if that's what they're going for then that's that's something but yeah <laughs> I can see why Max doesn't doesn't like it um for sure and I know I'm going out on a limb and really <laughs> really critiquing an idea that's from really awesome players and that are you know very um fundamental to the development of jazz you know from the late 20th century into today I just I don't understand that decision is all I'm saying and and you know, it just seems a little bit, you know, uh, musically inappropriate. Yeah. And one thing that Max and I were actually talking about before we we hit record and start recording is that it seems like one thing we get a lot in today's day in jazz is a lot of critics that just don't critique anything. They just say how good everything is. And like we want to even the albums that we think are some of the best jazz albums of all time. We still want to find spots where we can critique and maybe, you know, where things could have been done better. We don't want to just I mean, it's great to give things the flowers that they're due. And this album has some really awesome aspects and we're going to get into those. But we would be remiss. And I don't think we'd be doing a good job if we weren't honest about the things that we thought could have done better or things that were out of place or didn't make sense in certain albums so that's what we're here to do we want to be completely honest so i appreciate max's honesty there and his opinion of of the ending of that tune <laughs> well i thank you Dwayne. yeah well that takes us to the third track the title track of the album called parallel motion um this one is a bob mincer original again we get a four bar drum intro which is kind of neat it's a slower slightly funkier groove we're getting at I don't know. It could be a little bit more dynamic. It kind of reminds me of a preset drum groove that would be included in 
a Casio keyboard. I don't know if you were getting that. I can see why you said that. I think it is slightly more hip than that. I think that's kind of <laughs> reducing it down to something that's very, very not hip. I think it's like got a little bit more hipness to that. But I can see why why you said that. Um, it does have that kind of simple kind of groove feel to it. But I think it's got a little bit more hipness than maybe the, the preset Casios would. I think you're right. It's a little more hip. But it, it, it uh, I don't know. I'm missing something. I don't know what it is. Uh, and then after that drum groove opener, we get the piano entering, playing some syncopated chords along with the bass before Bob Mincer enters on the sax. The melody features a lot of lower end on the tenor saxophone, which is a nice change of pace. I think a lot of more modern players are really enamored with the high range of the horn, and it's a cool change of pace to have a melody speaking in the low to mid range of the tenor sax. Also, the melody sounds as if it's doubled by a synthesizer. I'm thinking that's the Ewe. So it, Bob, yeah, it is. Yeah, that's the Ewe doubling the melody on uh, behind the saxophone. And so Bob Mincer, I think, obviously overdubbed himself on the Ewe um, after uh, they recorded the the tune live with him on saxophone. Um, and there's moments of overdubbing we've come across. It's not really the jazz thing to do, but it kind of makes more sense in the fusion setting. Yeah, and it definitely, it feels like it makes more sense here. These tracks are really, they are, like we said, arranged, you know, a lot. So it kind of can make more sense in these kinds of tracks to do it. And it feels a little bit almost more natural here than maybe in some other settings where there's some overdubbing done. Right. And then we get a piano solo after the melody. There's nice movement with some great moments of groove and swinging lines with eighth notes and a fair amount of triplets that are used, yet it's always feeling in the pocket. There's some left-hand and right-hand interplay as well, like we discussed with Brad Meldow on the album Long Gone. I want us to listen to those moments together, um, this chunk from the piano solo. Yeah, that's cool. It's almost like they're the left hand, right hand are like speaking to each other there, it feels like. Yeah, it's sort of a call and response uh, at times. And then they're, you know, going right into each other. Uh, so the piano solo also it intensifies towards the end of it, implementing dynamics. And dynamics are so important. This track speaks a little more here because of the presence of dynamics. Yeah, and I think this one thing that the um the piano solo and Russell does really well is he starts back like pretty laid back, but he's definitely still in the pocket, which he gives it a lot of room to grow by starting kind of really laid back in the solo. And yeah, I just I, I like we talked about his development. I think there's that really cool development here and and the build right at the end is really nice here from from Russell. Then there's sort of a, a second, more energetic head played by Bob Mincer on the sax and Iwi. It's almost like a shout chorus, which makes kind of sense coming from Bob Mincer's big band background and his influences. And he's done a lot of writing in the big band format. Um, so he, he's kind of uh, implementing that sort of approach here. And that'll come up again and again as we keep going through the album. They then go back to the first head as the group intensifies and it grows into a saxophone solo. Finally, I was kind of waiting for the sax to come out on this track. I was waiting for Bob to take off a little bit. 
Um, let's listen to the latter half of the sax solo where he starts to get into it. And this is where he really starts to grab my attention. Yeah, there's some nice moments there. Um, and then they get into some more melody. Yeah, did you have anything else on that solo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely want to talk just a little bit about about um what's going on. I, I will. Yeah, I just want to say I do think that's a moment where Bob Mincer really comes out to me and and we're kind of getting what I was hoping for um, more so at the earlier in the beginning of the album. That's exactly kind of what I was going to say. It feels like anytime we kind of let Bob Mincer go to work, we're getting some really, really fun stuff. And this clip is a, a great example of that. I think that's like it. I'm really enjoying some of Bob Mincer's playing. And one thing that stood out to me there is, again, kind of the development at the end of the solo. And I really liked what Russell Ferrante was doing kind of when he built the those like he was playing some chords that were really building towards the end and building with um, with Bob Mincer at the end of the solo there. Yeah, I thought that was a, a really cool clip there, Max. So I just wanted to point out a few things and just say that Bob Mincer, he's given us a lot when we kind of get to, to hear from him, get to let him do his thing a little bit. I know. And he was getting into double time there at the end. You know, he's all over the horn, really nice high notes, um, you know, great sound, great movement, great flexibility. It's it's in the there's a pocket there. Um, it's great. I just wish there was more of it earlier on. Um, and then, like I was getting to, we get into some more melody. There's more of the shout chorus like melody that still keeps the energy that we were getting during the, the solos. And they end on a stinger here. Clue, uh, excuse me, two. It's, it's a very clean ending that proves you have other options than doing a studio fade. So I'm, I'm digging these stinger endings and I'm really into this track. Once it gets into the piano solo and onward, the melody is interesting, but not necessarily all that catchy to me. Um, the groove really comes alive in the middle of parallel motion. It's it's all in all a good title track. I just maybe wish it was a better melody. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. And one thing that I thought was interesting was the the kind of like shout chorus melody in the middle. I was like, man, we're doing this again. But then they didn't like really repeat the melody again on the way out they did just more of like a shout chorus instead of the original melody which i thought was cool and it made me feel better about doing like the the melody in the middle of the song as well to not repeat the melody so so many times you know they kind of just did more of a shout chorus thing on the way out and that's more reminiscent uh or at least another moment that's reminiscent of the big band sort of approach because a lot of you know, tunes associated with people like Count Basie, they would end, you know, a high energy blues tune or something with a shout chorus. They would not repeat the melody that happened towards the beginning of the tune. So that's another big band feature um, or at least another aspect of Bob Mincer's writing that comes out that's obviously influenced by the array of big band music in the history of jazz. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And that, yeah, I completely agree. Well, the fourth track on the album is, and it's hot, it's a, a track entitled Onyx Manor. Um, and Max had asked a question I saw in your, um, your notes. 
you said, uh, what would you say? Something about the... Well, we're getting a really unique sound at the very beginning from the keyboard. Um, it, I didn't know if that was a pedal or if that was an effect. or, or We're getting sort of waviness that's going on. And you being the keyboard guy, I thought you would know. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty simple, simple uh, answer. He's just playing a Rhodes electric piano instead of like playing the on the piano on this one so that you know the roads if you're not super familiar um roads and southern certain other electric pianos such as such as Wurlitzer's um have an oscillating effect so if you're listening to it in headphones or you know in any kind of stereo situation where you're getting both sides of the music the sound is going to oscillate from the left to the right side of the headphones so it's not that he's playing through a pedal he's just playing a keyboard that is has that oscillating effect rather than playing like your more straight toned piano okay well that explains it yep so we get the the roads here on this one and i don't know if it's an, an actual roads or it's some kind of electric piano but i'm pretty sure it'd be like a 70s era roads which makes sense given the the music and some more fusion you know we'll get some road stuff and uh, Butcher Brown, the group that we talked about, that um, their keyboardist DJ Harrington, he plays a Rhodes a lot on a lot of their tunes. Um, I think the intro on this track is is pretty cool with just the keys and the drums, and then the sound on the melody and some of the synths give me really kind of snarky puppy kind of vibes here, and then. Parts of the melody, I feel like, on this track are maybe a little overdone with the syncopation. There's a lot of syncopation on this album. I feel like parts of this, there's maybe it's a little overdone and overemphasized on the syncopation. Um, and just when I think that they're going to take a sax solo, they pivot to like another section in the song, which is like this syncopated solely section. And then they go into like a whole nother different section which is like this funky organ, bass, and drum section. And this is kind of like the thing about this tune is like there's like these three different sections and they're kind of just moving, maybe even more, and they're kind of shifting gears a lot. So I just kind of want to let us listen to that and kind of listen to those different sections and hear what, what I'm talking about with the like shifting and the, the, the feel in the, the track. So this is going to be 252 to, to 330 here. Yeah, yeah. So I like a lot of what's going on and uh, like the feels that we're getting here. But it to me, it feels like we're kind of shifting gears pretty quickly without staying in the same place for very long. So we're not kind of letting those things really sink in. We're just kind of like one thing onto the next thing. And we're kind of just pivoting really quickly. Um, yeah, I, I, I just I love the funk breakdown when it happens. But we're yeah. kind of getting I love that moment. But did the moment before it relate to what was going to happen? 
And did the moment before that relate to what was going to happen then? I, I don't know. I mean, it all feels good and it's cool and maybe a little unexpected. I just think we're getting so many things at once in such a short amount of time. I think I would have liked them to expand that middle section that you just played a little bit. And that could have been a cool little sax solo. And then you go into the funk breakdown and you feature the bass or something. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah. And then they kind of do these, this same thing again, these two grooves, and then they pivot through them again in the same way. But this time it's a key solo the whole way through, which is, is pretty funky, groovy, and pretty gospel driven, but they do the same kind of shifting gears behind the, the key solo there. And then we pivot to like a whole new feel and we get a sax solo that's in this completely new feel and at this point the song is just kind of quite quite the journey um the saxo is funky and there's some really cool breaks in this section of the song and i want us to listen to this transition from those those things that we heard those couple sections earlier into the the sax solo here in this new portion of of this journey here so that's like group section with the keyboard solo That gospel funky stuff. Now we're in a whole new place. <laughs> the cool hits there, though, I do like that hit. And that's something cool about this section or these hits coming up. hits are cool yeah yeah there's I, I think, a lot going on yeah i i would agree it seems like we're playing four songs in one song yes and completely I, I, I don't know if i like it um i will say also which may not be a complimentary thing i don't know you take it how you want to take it but that section when the sax solo hits and and just thereafter it sounds kind of like a soundtrack to a racing car game or other unique uh, sporting video game soundtrack. Uh, I don't know. I'm getting like, like we're about to play a video game. Like and Mario Kart. To, <laughs> yeah, like Mario Kart, or we're gonna do some skiing, or or something race car related, or we're gonna we're gonna get on the the ski slope, and this is the intro music before you actually start to play the game. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, that's imagery, you know, like. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely understand what, what you're saying there. Um, for sure. Yeah. It's just weird. Like this song feels like it could be five different songs. Like Max said, and like, it's everything that goes on in the song is cool. It's just like how much we're pivoting from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. Like so quickly that, that is kind of the, the detractor for me. Um, and then after this saxo, we just listened to a good little bit, actually more of that than I was intending, but he really does. When Mincer plays, I mean, it's it's fun to listen to. So, But then after the sax solo, there's another solo, soli section kind of with them all, you know, the rhythm section playing the same thing um, in this same feel as the sax solo. And then the sax is doubled with the iwi again. And then at the end, there's like this riff section where like the rhythm sections playing this riff all together. So a whole new thing too. We're not going back to the original melody or anything we've heard before. We're in like a new place completely with this kind of riff that, that the rhythm section is playing. 
And this goes on um, for a bit before the sax and the iwi come back in with with a melody. Um, Yeah. And then they kind of basically vamp on this riff out into the end. And then this kind of studio fade that doesn't do much for me. And I think this is like a really cool track, kind of like we've been saying. It's a cool track with a lot of cool elements. But to me, it just feels really disjointed. I feel like we're constantly shifting to something new when we've just started to get into the last thing. And it really does feel like it could be a few different tunes all in one. Yeah, at least four, maybe yeah. five. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um, I really think Bob Mincer is kind of, if we're thinking about artistically and, and, and how we compose and arrange music, I think he's really trying to emulate the big band arrangement sort of, uh, history or style or, um, you know, tendencies in a small group setting that's in a fusion genre. I think he's just implementing all sorts of different techniques you would use to arrange, uh, tunes for a big band in a small group fusion uh, setting. And so he's, he's pulling all these different things like, like solis, you know, yeah. typically, if, typically if you're in a small group setting like this, you're not going to uh, write and arrange solis. And if you do, it's only going to be on one or two tunes of an album. It's not going to be on three, four or five of them. Like we, we are getting here. Um, so that is kind of a neat aspect to the compositions that we're getting from Bob Mincer and, and the gang here. I just think it's just a little overdone at times, especially on this track. Just stick to one of them or maybe or maybe do it in a different way that makes a little bit more sense musically. Even though it's really hip what they're doing, I just think it's a little too much. Yeah, and I think that's a great point to make, Max, is that he's really bringing like a big band approach to a small ensemble. And I just want to point out why. And so, like we said, it's like everything's super arranged, the solely sections, everything's well written and arranged really well, right? But I think one thing that one reason that you would do that for a big band versus where you don't see it as much in a small ensemble is a very practical reason, right? Is how many people are in a big band and having, you know, you can't have. There's a certain level of communication that can go on when you have a quartet of four people to where we can, like, when we're playing as a trio, Max, we can do things on the fly. We can take things wherever we want, right? Because there's only three of us and we only have to get three people on the same page. But when you're playing in a big band, to try to do something that's like spontaneous or communicated, communicative between 30 people is not going to happen in a big band. That's why big bands are so arranged and so everything's so road mapped out. And so it feels like he really is bringing that approach from big band and swing into this small group. And at certain points, it's like, well, I do still want some of those small ensemble, communicative, groove, jazz, you know, kind of things going on there. And it's just, it feels like it's, we don't really get that everything. Like, I mean, we just listened to that, all these transitions, everything is like strict to the book. The sections are mapped out like they're supposed to be. Um, the solos are mapped out even with the links it feels like. So I think that's a really good point you make there, Max. Thank you. I just want to clarify a big band would normally have, you know, anywhere from 15 to 18, maybe 20 people, not necessarily 30, okay. unless we're talking, unless we're talking Sun Ra or something. Yeah. 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 Um, I was going a little big with the, the sizing. Yeah. No, oh. but you're right. I mean, and, and you, and everything you said is, is accurate. There's, there's different ways to address the size of an ensemble and, and different ways you can musically, 
um, express an idea. And I just think we're just getting too much here. It's a compositional journey that's gone off the rails. It's like we were we were taking a vacation and then we got on a train that got into a, a train wreck and it completely, you know, every everyone was fine. Nobody got hurt, but we, you know, it 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 sort of interrupted the journey. Yeah. And it was an exciting journey. We were going to, you know, travel to Minsk. We were going to take the train from one place to another. Then we get, we were going to get on a plane and go across the world. And then we were going to do this and that. And, and along the way we get interrupted. And, and that's, I think what we're getting here with, with the four track Onyx manner. Um, but then we, we do kind of get back into what we were getting in, in the earlier parts of the album with the fifth, fifth track called Samaritan. Yeah, one thing I want to say is uh, your big man may only have 18 people, but I've got strings and a full chorus in my big band, so 30 people sounds sounds good for me. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, no, I'm down with that. <laughs> you know, bigger is better, I guess. Um, but no, it certainly can. There are moments of that happening, but uh, I just wanted to make sure we were yeah, yeah, coming, yeah, for sure. coming a across a, a standard a standard jazz big band or swing big band. Right, right. So with Samaritan, the fifth album, uh, sorry, the fifth track on the album, we get a, a tune originally that's created from the drummer, Will Kennedy. So he wrote this one. We're getting a 5-4 time signature, so five beats within a measure. Um, it's kind of a two-chord A section followed by a bridge. I'm thinking of the form as an A-B-A form. The group plays the head two times through. This melody is catchy and memorable. One of my favorite melodies thus far on the record is this one. The sax solo hits us first. There's nice movement and range. At times, he holds on to a high note longer than expected, even a lower note longer than expected, before moving again with a busier line with no pause in the phrasing. Let's listen to an example of that where there's instances of lingering notes, and he's lingering on that note and choosing not to put a breath or a break in the phrase. Yeah, yeah, most people would breathe there, you know, when he's holding out that note. Most people would take a breath before playing that next idea, but he just holds it all the way into that that next part of the phrase. Yeah, that low note, it, it's just held out, and then he goes into something else. So that's a really neat technique you can do as a soloist that Bob Mincer gives us a couple of times in the solo. And he also gives us a, a seamless transition into a seeming, seemingly transitory melody um, that's doubled in the bass for a time that moves into a piano solo. So we're sort of getting a solo transition here from one soloist to the next. And I want us to listen to that effortless movement and please pay attention to the flow of dynamics that also takes place here. Yeah, it's just always moving. Um, there's, you know, we we start off louder, get softer. Great dynamics there. 
Um, there's uses of pentatonic ideas and chromaticism and varying rhythms and single lines in the key solo that comes after that soon leads into a fade out to end the track. So here we're getting a, another fade out. So there's a couple extra fade outs than I would want in an album. But here I do think it is mostly appropriate. This one speaks more to me. It just, I think, comes a little bit too soon for my liking. I would have liked to hear more uh, soloing going on and extended the ending just a little bit. I think this one ends too soon. I think overall it could have been a tad longer. Maybe some cool solo interplay between the saxophone and the keys would have been a nice touch too. Um, and generally speaking, there seems to be less of an emphasis on improvisation and a lot of the style and approach we're getting on this record. It's definitely present, but in many moments, at least compositionally, it seems to take a backseat to other elements of jazz that are being expressed here. Yeah, and I feel like that's definitely a good point. And certain times, it feels like everything is like, like we said, it's so road mapped out that it can kind of get in the way. Like if someone wanted to take six more courses on a solo, it doesn't seem like that's an option. It seems like, all right, this is when we're going to this next section. This is like, you know, we're at this point we're taking this turn this is the exit we're getting off there's no going down the road six more miles to see the scenes we're getting off this exit and we're we're going to the next thing so i feel like at points i wish that there was it felt like they were able to stretch it out a little bit more and not you know and not have to be in that the confines of of the arrangements a little bit absolutely yeah and and we'll see that a couple more times here um and then we get a six track i believe it's called El Mio Amico. Is that right, Dwayne? Yep. Yeah. El Mio Amico is the, the sixth track on the album. And this one is definitely uh, interesting to say the least. There's lots of melody or movement in the melody here and lots of changes going on here. Um, this melody, in my opinion, does not do much to add to the album. Bob goes into a soprano solo, which has some nice elements and has some good runs, good feel, and the groove is nice, and there is good range. So there's some really nice elements here to Bob's solo on the soprano. I, I do want to point that out. Um, I don't think that the, the piano doesn't, doesn't say a lot to me on this one. It does pick up some steam towards the end, so he's still doing a great job of developing his solos, even though this one doesn't speak to me as much as some of the others. And then... We get the melody, and then we get another solo from Mincer, which I didn't feel like was super needed, but we got it anyways, so that's there. Um, <laughs> We're getting some stretching on this track that um, I think could have been used in a better way on other tracks. I don't know why this one has the stretching we've been waiting for, because it doesn't. Uh, I, I think this tune is not giving what it's supposed to give. Yeah, I, this track, yeah, and... There's some nice dynamic build towards the end, but then they just fade it right on out after like it doesn't I don't know. They were like building and then fading it out like during I, the end of the song doesn't make a lot of sense. The whole song doesn't make much sense to me. This disjointed choppy choppy melody like I just want to know what exactly the point of this track is. Should we listen to this melody, Max, just so people know what we're talking about? And I think this one's just not super user friendly. Like there's so many changes going on so quickly. The melody isn't super succinct. Should we listen to it just so people know that we're not talking crazy right now? <laughs> 
I think we should at least listen to a snippet of it because we're, we're not going to listen to anything else from this track. I will say in the middle of it, it gets a little bit more interesting from that sax solo and we get a little bit more groove. And I do like the middle chunk of this track, but mm -hmm. the beginning and end is not much. It's not doing much for me. So, yeah. So let's listen to a little bit of it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just take a, a listen. You can hear right off the bat that the changes are just... because I think that the melody has a good foundation, but it just feels like there's like almost there is, there's too many changes. Like why not? I just don't get it. Where yeah. You? There as I'm just going to say there is something missing and that's not good. Uh, there's something <laughs> definitely missing. It's sort of new age, uh, third stream I'm getting as the sort of general vibe. Um, it's definitely fusion, but it's a whole other direction that I was not expecting to go. And, and sometimes that can be a great thing, but here I don't think it's necessarily a good thing. And I think the middle of the album, excuse me, the middle of this track um, does kind of come out to me more, but it's not necessarily related to what we just heard. That's yeah. my, that's really my ultimate problem with uh, El Mio Amico is that from beginning to end, it just seems that nothing is related. I don't understand the the little piano part of the melody it seems like an interlude in between the saxophone melody it's not succinct like you were getting to um it just doesn't seem appropriate at times and it doesn't seem to 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 mel uh to mesh well within itself and and the drums are also a little too basic to me uh, especially as the track goes on, I wish Will Kennedy gave us a little bit more. I don't know. I think I think some of this is is partly the the problem of the composition, and we're not um, succinct from one section to the next. And part of the problem may be people are, are are in the ensemble are a little too hesitant to add something to it to elevate what's going on musically. Yeah, yeah, I think disjointed is like the big word that sticks out to me here. It's not like, yeah, there's like potential, in my opinion, um, like the sound of what's going on is cool. I just, I don't know, it just seems choppy in the melody and not super succinct from melody to solo. And so, yeah, just this one, definitely, I don't know, it's it's a, a different direction to go in, but I don't know if it's it's my favorite direction to go in. So let's go ahead and, and move on from uh, from this track and get into the seventh track on the album entitled Resilience, Max. Yeah, this tune, Resilience, is a Bob Mincer original. It's 4-4 four, four time. We got a lot of syncopated movement with repetitive cool bass line. Excuse me. <coughs> Uh, it's an AAB song form for the melody with each section lasting eight measures. It's a catchy melody in moments. Let's listen to a snippet of the melody to hear how catchy it is that's defined by short pauses and cool short moments of syncopated rhythms. 
Yeah, and this to me really sounds like some some of the the snarky puppy stuff with the the syncopation and and the horn melody here. Yeah, there there is that element there, and that's a great connection. I I think we're we're emphasizing the groove a little bit more, and yep. of course syncopation and 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 what we can do with that. Bob Mincer takes the first solo. He has a nice start to his sax solo with shorter phrasing and great development here. There's some blues present as he continues his solo too, which is really appreciated. We witness a little stretching here from the saxophone, and it's a relief to get that finally. Uh, we did get a little bit of that uh, at times, but here we're really getting it. It's a little bit of uh, a mincer solo that definitely speaks out to me more. And you can hear those things I just mentioned. I want us to listen to it together. Listen for the blues, for the stretching. Um, there, there's some great phrasing, too. Yeah, yeah, what great feel, too. Yeah, it feels good. It's great. Um, there's a moment here, uh, also, when we go on, that there's sort of a, a, another shout section. Jeez, that's a lot of S's. <laughs> <laughs> sort of shout section. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, so where that happens, Bob is playing a busier melodic line as if it's a solely in a big band chart. So, again, more sort of uh, big band uh, practice that we're getting here in the arrangement. He's doubled himself again on Ewe, kind of emulating a saxophone section during a solely big band arrangement. And this leads into a piano solo. I think Ferrante on the piano solo does some really nice stuff. Yeah. And before we get into the piano solo, I just, at this point in the album, I'm just, does there have to be an interlude between every solo? This is the point to where I'm like, this is one I didn't need this. Like just go into the piano solo here. I, yeah, I agree. It's it's starting to get annoying, and yeah. that's not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so once we get another transition, we get that piano solo from Russell Ferrante. He has some nice left-hand involvement at times, which works to rhythmically diversify his improvisations. He also expresses a number of ideas in the low to mid-range of the piano, which fits the almost down-and-dirtier vibe of this composition. Dane on bass is also playing busier lines behind the soloist, interacting well with what is going on from the keys. Let's listen to that together. This is a great moment. Oh, some funk bass elements. Yeah, some real funk funk kind of elements there from from Dane on the bass. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's a moment of great interaction. So that's kind of what we were getting at earlier, which is, you know, this is a small group setting. We want to have some more freeing uh interaction where it's, you know, it's not necessarily prearranged and it's in more in the moment and interactive and developmental. And that's a moment where we finally get it here. So I really do appreciate that. 
Um, any any other thoughts on that? No, I I just I completely agree. I think that that makes this track one of the more enjoyable uh, tracks on the album thus far. Is we're really we have a really nice groove, right? An interesting melody, and we're actually getting that interaction. We're like it feels like in my opinion, like jazz music, like we want it to be that kind of communicative, emotional feeling in the moment kind of thing. That's what, in my opinion, what's so great about jazz. And so I, I really appreciate that from this track here. And then we get the head out after that piano solo, followed by an outro idea with quite a few rhythmic hits. And we end on another stinker here on a chord or sound that doesn't sound quite resolved. And I think this is a really cool ending. Um, it reminded me of how Dexter Gordon ended a track on the album Go, where they, they quote that sort of circus lick and they end on the major seven and they don't, they don't um, you know, finalize and end on a tonic. So it, we kind of get that here with this track. Bap, 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 bap. That's what they do on Wait. the Dexter <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. That's what they do on the Dexter album. And and quarterly speaking, they kind of do that here on Resilience. Uh, it's a really nice, you know, ending to, to a really nice track, too. So then we get the eighth track on the album, If You Believe. Uh, Dwayne, you were the one tasked to go over this one. We also get a, a vocalist, guest artist on this track, Jean Baylor. She's from a great group called The Baylor Project. I think Gene Baylor adds a lot to If You Believe, um, but it may be missing some other elements. Dwayne, what do you have for us? Yeah, so it's super interesting. This is It's the ballad on the album, and it's where you would expect the ballad to be on the album. Usually ballads come second to last. That's a pretty typical placement for a jazz album to put the ballad in that spot. Um, and it's cool. I think it's interesting to have... The vocals on the ballad on the track. I think that Gene Baylor does a, a really great job with singing the melody. Um, and it feels more, I mean, this is definitely, we're getting deep into fusion here because this feels very R&B, power ballad, Whitney Houston kind of uh, feel for me here. But then at the end, they do get into more of a jazz and with the solos, everything here. So we start out with just a piano intro, which is nice. And then Gene Baylor comes in singing the melody. And it's just her and piano for the first verse through the the melody, which is really nice here. And then the the rest of the group comes and joins in after that verse. And then Mincer kind of repeats the melody on the saxophone before he goes into a solo. So he kind of echoes the melody. And then he starts his solo with some short runs. And he really gives it kind of room to build into by playing just those shorter runs at first. He does a really great job of building the solo throughout and then letting it back down kind of at the end. So he builds it up and then kind of like, you know, we get that climax and then brings it back down. Let's listen for that uh, here, um, kind of that build and then that bringing the tension back down a little bit in, in uh, Bob Mincer's solo here. Yeah, it's a nice moment of tension and release. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so really, really brings it down at the end and kind of simmers down. One thing that I think is really cool that I didn't mention before is that you can actually hear um, Gene Baylor singing over um, singing in the background of, of the solo there, and it adds a kind of nice ambiance and sonic feature to to the the track here and, and the solo there. Absolutely, I, I love those moments where you can hear things like that that are not expected you know usually you just think oh it's a saxophone solo you're just going to hear sax and rhythm section um but you know we've dealt with that before you know sometimes it's it's maybe seemingly unintentional like on sunny side up you can hear dizzy gillespie in the background behind sax solos and stuff like that um but you know it's, it's a really nice aspect either way yeah and i just yeah this track is definitely unique um it ends with like the bass playing melodic lines as the rhythm section fades out kind of naturally it's really cool another bass feature here and uh i like what's going on there they don't necessarily uh repeat the melody they just kind of give a bass the feature at the end and yeah like i said it's just a really cool kind of aspect to this album is to bring in an r&b singer and do a ballad in this kind of r&b way given you know, this newer fusion kind of approach that they're taking to the music. I also want to say this is a good example of how to play with a vocalist that we're getting from Bob Mincer as a horn player. You know, you want to fill in the space with some lighter touches behind the vocals. Um, so Bob Mincer is catting what we call catting behind a, a vocalist where, you know, he's, he's um, filling in the spaces in the vocal uh, melody to fill in the space, but he's not getting in the way of the vocalist. And I think that's really important as a, as a horn player, especially that, you know, you don't want to do too much in moments like that. And you can really trample all over a nice vocal line. If you play too much as a horn player, as a, even a guitar accompanist who, you know, whoever is sort of the extra in addition to the rhythm section and the vocalist, um, you really have to, be cognizant of what you're doing because you're playing a very specific musical role in moments like that. Yeah, we've all been out at, you know, wherever where there's some live music that we weren't expecting to see and there's the singer and the horn player and the horn players just, you know, trying to accompany the singer, but they're just making it all about themselves. You know, we've all seen that and no one wants to be that that person who's just making a the part of the melody that's not about them, all about them. For So that's a that's a really good point. Something that Bob Mincer does really well here. And I know that because I think maybe I have been that person. <laughs> <laughs> it's good so, to, to realize it and be self-aware, though. Yeah, exactly. You know, I you really have to um, think about you know your role as a horn player in that in that scenario. Um, so so a cool example of of what to do in that in that you know sort of uh, circumstance. And then we get the ninth track, the final track on the album called Early. Um, we start off with heavy cymbal hitting from the drums, and then the synth comes in before Bob joins on sax, um, playing a mellow intro-like melody with a two-bar phrasing that's going on. The, the melody uh, develops and breathes pretty well, eventually involving some cool rhythmic hits, defining the feel and pace of the melodic movement. I want us to listen to that together and pay attention to how they interact with what the sax is playing and when, in terms of the beat, the hits are used. Mm-hmm. 
Right. So so you can hear all those beats. Uh, sorry, those um, hits on the different beats interact well with the melody and what Bob is playing. There's also a very cool open simmering section where the beat sort of bottoms out while the pulse is continuing and Mincer freely blows on the sax floating on top of what's going on. And I think Bob Mincer does some really cool stuff. He continues to develop a little bit using some nice space in order to interact his ideas with what's going on around him. The solo is short-lived as they move to another moment of solely type playing. And then they restate the head in an energetic way that seems to move to a rhythmic bass line or ostinato played by the keys and bass as Bob Mincer comes in to join them with another almost shout chorus idea right before a keyboard solo. Here it is for you to check it out for yourself. Yeah, and as you could hear, it goes into a key solo that's uh, kind of short, but it's characterized by many single line movements before that almost shout chorus idea is played again with the keys, playing some cool stuff behind it, including some nice trills at times. And then they end this one by fading out while the keys continue to solo us out of the album. Yep. And this, you know, this moment of the fade out may be the best one on the album. I think this fade out works supremely well. I really also like the repetitive parts of the melody. You know, we're using repetition in very good ways here with this tune early. Um, all in all, it, it's a good track. There's some really cool moments, maybe a little bit too much solely. I don't know. Um, and we get more of the Ewe doubling here, which, you know, um, I think I think it works in this setting, but maybe not. It doesn't, you know, maybe it doesn't speak to me personally. Yeah. I, yeah, this is cool. I really do like the melody here. I think that sometimes the fade outs can work better with like an electric piano or like a keyboard solo for some reason than necessarily a saxophone. I don't know what it is about the sonic like feeling of of a keyboard solo that works better. I think of like some like Doors stuff with Rayman's Eric where they'll just like fade his keyboard playing out into the the distance, which is kind of nice. So I I do think it can work better sometimes when you fade a keyboard out than with a, a sax or something else. Um, but yeah, this is a really cool way to end the album. And I, yeah, this isn't, this one has some really cool features to it. Those hits are really cool. There's some cool syncopation there with, with the hits there. So yeah, I, I do like this track as, as an ender to the album for sure. Yeah. I think this record really opens and closes really well. Great, you know, curation on the order of tunes, I think with this album, um, from the yellow jackets. So Without further ado, we're going to move into our top threes and our not-so-hot. If you don't know, for every album we review, we each pick uh, top three tracks that, that spoke to us or that brought out certain elements that we really enjoy, and then we each have a not-so-hot track that we think really misses the mark. Um, and I guess I'll go ahead and go first, if that's all right with you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> go ahead, Max. All right, my first one is Resilience, which was the seventh track. It kind of... Um, connected uh 
some ideas to the great group snarky puppy you know a little a little bit funkier a little more groove uh, emphasis um a little more expansiveness in resilience i really dug it i think that one spoke the most to me personally my second favorite is intrigue which is the opener to the album there's some really hip stuff going on all in all a great track i love the extended bass feature as well the third one the third uh top three is uh the tune Samaritan, which was Will Kennedy's original. I think that melody is probably one of the best melodies on the album. And that's saying something coming from a drummer. Uh, so really great composition. My not so hot, as you could probably guess, is Il Mio Amico. We said it's disjointed. We said we don't like how um, one thing doesn't necessarily relate to the next um the melody is 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 not that great in my opinion i do think there are some nice moments in the middle of the track some great soloing going on i just don't know if it's adding as much as they think it's adding to this album yeah i think you make some some really good points there i have some similarities in my my top three but i, I took it in a little bit different direction I, I completely agree that Resilience is the best track on the album. Just really getting a lot from that track. The groove is great. The melody is fun to listen to. We're getting just a lot with the song Resilience. And then my number two track is one that you didn't have in your top three. And I put the title track Parallel Motion as my number two track. I think it just has a lot of the same things that we get from Resilience. And I just that's those are the things that I really like in this album. Um, a fun melody good solos on parallel motion for sure and just yeah it's it stands out to me as the title track and i think it does encompass everything in the album well as the title track and then my number three i picked the 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 opener intrigue i the bass solo that's how ballsy to start with a bass solo but it works so well the bass solo is super funky there it's a fun track to listen to it's unique um so yeah i i, I agree intrigue is, is definitely a, a great track and then for my not so hot i think this one is one that's fairly obvious to me, at least. It's El Mio Amico. I agree with Max. I just think it feels so disjointed and choppy in the melody. There's a little bit too much going on with the changes there. It doesn't feel to be very clear or succinct to the listener, which doesn't, I mean, what are we, you know, like what's the point of the music if we're not trying to make it listenable? Um, no offense to, to the track. Um, I think there are some really nice aspects in the track. Like Max said, the solos are really nice, but it just doesn't seem to make sense from beginning to end on, on Il Mio Amico. So for that reason, it is my not so hot track as well. Um, so, and one thing I want to mention is that if you want to listen to like some of our favorite tracks from the entirety of our podcast, we actually have a Spotify playlist with all of our top threes from every single album. So if you want a cool jazz playlist to listen to, go check that out. It's linked in our website. Um, so go to our website and you can find it there. Um, definitely follow that and you can hear some of our favorite tracks that we've listened to on the entire podcast. But let's get into our overall album thoughts and our ratings before closing it out here. I'll go ahead and go first and I'll let Max finish us out. Um, I think that Parallel Motion by the Yellow Jackets is an album with much to offer that takes the listener through many different directions throughout. The album has many different grooves, time signatures, arranged sections, and unique melodies throughout its entirety. The album is very well arranged from start to finish, and everything done here is intentional. We get a feel for that right away with the opener intrigue, and it continues into the mix meter selection of challenging times, which seems 
like due to the complex meter might be a little bit more fun to play than it is to listen to um in my opinion there are some really nice grooves on the album though in spots where it the group really does get to open up a little bit more such as parallel motion samaritan and resilience the album does seem to get in my opinion a little too caught up in the strict arrangements and sometimes it limits the songs from really growing because they are so locked into what's written on the paper in front of them the track onyx manor suffers from this the most in my opinion it's a track capable of being one of the best on the album with its melody feels and sonic intrigue it's just it's ever shifting before really allowing the listener and the group to settle into the prior idea if there is something that can be both a good and bad aspect of this album it is the arrangement of the tunes while all the compositional aspects are well written well played and usually interesting from the group the album does start to become over arranged at points where sometimes I think they could really let go of some of the strict arrangement and really allow for some of the grooves to stretch out and for them to really interact with each other in an organic way the tracks on the album are all very unique, and even though it is nine tracks, it does not feel like it starts to get repetitive at any point. The playing on the album is great, and they are all dialed in together with the material. I think Bob Mincer really stands out to me on this album. Um, his playing, all of his solos are super interesting, and a lot of the solo development is super great from the group. And I think that Parallel Motion shows us that the Yellow Jackets still have a lot to offer in the jazz landscape, and it's definitely worth listening to on your own and forming your own opinion. Should it win the Grammy for Best Instrumental Album? I think maybe not, but I do think it is is worth a listen, so I gave it a 7.1 out of 10 on this one. Yeah, some great points. I think this latest Grammy-nominated release from the Yellow Jackets incorporates interesting compositional techniques, intriguing grooves, and moments of soloistic stretching. Many of these tunes capture an array of musical elements that coincide with the usual sound we'd expect from this ensemble that has been making a splash since the 1970s. The group has always staked their vision of fusion jazz and just ran with it. The music here is well arranged and usually intriguing, as can be witnessed on the opening track accurately titled Intrigue. We receive more fascination with the mixed meter present in challenging times. The neat grooves and melodies on Resilience, Samaritan, as well, maintain such intrigue and interest. Parallel Motion, the title track, comes across as an expected vibe from Yellow Jackets, as well as the closer named Early. Onyx Manor or Onyx Manor is hip at times, yet has too many sections, compositionally speaking. It's like a big band chart that has gone off the rails. <laughs> speaking of big bands, it seems as if many of the tunes arrangements are informed by Mincer's extensive big band history and his original compositions and arrangements for the jazz big band format. It works most of the time, yet can be musically interruptive. I think having as many solo transitions and almost solely like sections in these arrangements paints its use as overdone. Simply put, I wish there was just a little bit more stretching from soloists. To the album's credit, there is a considerable amount of features from bassist Dane Anderson and keyboardist Russell Ferrante. Unfortunately, there is no drum solo on the record from Will Kennedy. Also, a couple of Bob Mincer's saxophone solos are too short. 
these moments where there is seemingly a lack of emphasis on improvisation deserves a demerit in my estimation. In addition, while the tune El Mio Amico is a nice soprano sax feature for Mincer and actually includes some lengthier solos, I'm not enamored with its melody or feel. I do think vocal guest Gene Baylor of the Baylor Project adds a lot to If You Believe, yet I'm not sure if the tune's overall approach does much for me. Its lightful floatiness and openness is a lot less pleasing than I imagine it intends to be. On another note, I would have appreciated a swing feel section or song. The album seems lacking without one, even though we know that's not the Yellow Jacket's usual vibe. Parallel Motion is the solid representation of the Yellow Jackets and what they have to offer. An array of compositional techniques are used, displaying the vastness of Bob Mincer's arrangement skills. It's a solid recording with great contributions from each member. Some grooves are great, while at other moments, the groove comes across as bland or basic. The overemphasis on arrangement and the use of different time fields tends to be a drag when it's accompanied by a lack of improvisation. Some more in-the-moment interactions would elevate some of these compositions too. Overall, I also get the sense that some of this music could be categorized as white man jazz. Take that as you will. Basically, I just would appreciate a little bit more improvisational stretching. I want them to get out of their own way and let the groove speak for itself. The album definitely deserves attention and the Grammy nomination, yet it won't be found on my record shelf. Overall score, 6.8 out of 10. Yeah, and I think you make some really great points there. And I think this album, like, it's so interesting. It has so many really great elements, and then just sometimes where, like, I'm just wondering, you know, like, just not really digging as much it feels like almost sometimes it's like really good track not so interesting track really good track not so interesting and we kind of flip-flop from like you know going from tracks that i'm really into to tracks that i don't enjoy as much um so our jazz jam our combined jazz jam score on this one is a 7.0 out of 10 so definitely something that you know worth checking out and getting an idea for for yourself max why don't you tell us a little bit about what we're getting into next week it's our final episode well, our final album review on our run-up to the Grammys. What are we going to be getting into next week, Max? Yeah, we're getting into another Grammy-nominated album. I love this album. We're going to be doing Samara Joy's Linger a While. I'm not sure if it's Samara Joy or Samara Joy. Either way, it's super swinging. It's a 2022 release. Um, it's up for the Grammy in the Best Jazz Vocal Album category. So we're going to get, in, get into some vocals here. It's just heavy swing she does a, a a few great versions of tunes like social call um and i guess uh who i saw today which we've mentioned before associated with a great nancy wilson so samara joy has a as a version of that also um she does round midnight and a couple of other just go-to standards that are just in the pocket she's super soulful um she 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 has a lot going for her. She's kind of hit the scene the last couple of years and really has has just come out into the world. This album on Verve Records, um, so so she's hitting it. She's hitting the scene hard. She's only twenty three years old. Yep. She's a great vocalist, a lot of potential. We'll see what happens with her career, but we're going to go over her latest release 
called Linger a While, and I'm I'm kind of excited about this one. Yeah, and I actually, when I knew that we were going to be doing this one, I've waited until this episode till I've not listened to this album at all. I've been wanting to listen to it, but I wanted to wait to listen to it until we did the episode. So it's all very new and fresh. So I'm going to be fully diving into this album over the next week and checking it out. I'm super excited. I know that Samara Joy has a lot to offer. Like Max said, she's so young. So we're going to be getting a lot from Samara Joy over the next decade decades probably i would imagine so yeah super excited to get into that one that's going to be our last album that we get into on our run up to the grammys which is going to be on february 5th sunday february 5th so that's going to be our last album review that we do but we're going to have a grammy preview show as well where we kind of we're listening to every album in the instrumental category which we've done more than half of them now on the podcast so you can hear our thoughts on extensively on that but we're going to be getting into all of the instrumental albums. We're going to do all the vocal albums, not like super in depth, but we're going to kind of give our thoughts really quickly. And we're going to each pick our Grammy, um, what should win the Grammy for each category. And we're going to do the best solos as well. So those three categories, we're going to do an episode where we kind of take a look. We do a preview show for the Grammys and we kind of make our picks before the Grammys happen. And so we'll see what actually happens at the Grammys when they announce all of the the jazz awards so super excited to do that episode as well so we've got a lot coming up um this is a pretty cool thing that we'll probably do every year i think is in our lead up in the lead up to the grammys is take a look at some different albums that are being featured in that um awards ceremony so yeah super exciting things to come i just want to thank everyone for listening to this episode um featuring parallel motion by the yellow jackets it's been fun to to dive into this one it's a little bit different than maybe some of the other stuff we've done and so yeah thank you everyone for listening i have been your host Dwayne gunnels joined by max levy and this has been an episode of the jazz jam podcast (laughs) 